Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, you are also, in the immortal words of ZZ Top, a beer drinker and a hell raiser. So, what what beer are you drinking? We know you're raising hell, but what kind of beer are you drinking for this episode? That's right. Uh, I am having Deep Space Double IPA. Looks like it's an 8.1. And this is from... Oh, it's Hop Secret. So, Hop Secret? I see what they did there. Hop Secret Brewing. Very cool. All right, let's see what's going on here. I do like me a double IPA, that's for sure. I love a triple, but I also enjoy a double. Not a fan yeah, of a dub- single, really. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think we mentioned that on a previous episode where we both, not a big fan of single IPAs, but for some reason, whatever the fuck you do to make it a double, it's great. Yeah. They take, the thing that I find with a double and a triple is IPAs have a tendency to have like a, kind of like a dirty taste to it, like mm-hmm. on my palate. Um, yeah. I, I associate the flavor with with kind of a bit dirty. So yeah. I think the double is a bit smoother. You don't get that kind of gross aftertaste. And uh, yeah, it's, this is pretty solid. It's not overwhelming, and it's an 8.1, so I like that kind of math right there. You know, yeah, high, yeah. high ABV with a, a not like a gross bitter aftertaste. This is, this is pretty solid. Put your power you? rating well over 100. So for me, which I'll talk about uh, either a little or a lot in bringing the bullshit, I was in Kentucky last weekend. I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. And uh, oh, I coming back... Drinking. Coming back for well, the, I may have that later. But coming back from the land, well, what am I drinking? Well, what you showed me and Gary is what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. I am not drinking that actually. Okay. Instead, I am drinking either my number one or number two beer of all time, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel. Oh, yes, absolutely yes, a, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, definitely and the, one that gets brought up a lot on the pod. And uh, yeah, I like it's a nice bottle. It is, it is, it's one of those, it's like, I I bought it, I went to the liquor store yesterday, I went to Total Wine, because bourbon was on my mind, I did buy a bottle of bourbon to bring back, um, and I brought it back, and in fact, if this, if I don't feel this is enough, then I'm going to pour myself a little bourbon halfway through, Uh, you listeners will know whether or not I did, because I'll be dumber, (laughs) if I did. Things get uh, a little sloppy around here, people. Get a little sloppy, like two episodes ago, and uh, for me anyway. So I was just in a quest for picking up this beer. It was everywhere in Kentucky. But I didn't want to order it in Kentucky because I can get it down the street. I wanted some other stuff. Right. In fact, uh, the best beer I had there was a beer that my wife ordered without me there. Uh, she uh, and Eden were there a night early in town. And uh, at, at a dinner the night before, she tried a beer. It was It's kind of wild. Like, she's doing all these wild things like ordering beers. <laughs> you know, she's usually not a beer person. She ordered a beer called, oh, God, what's it called? Shotgun Wedding by a uh, company out there, I think, called Country Boy, if I remember right. So Country Boy Shotgun Wedding. Okay. It, it, it is a brown ale with finishes of vanilla. It is excellent. The vanilla finish in that is very strong. You know how sometimes we, you, you know, we say, oh, there's vanilla in it. And then you have to go like, mm, mm, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah there's a touch of vanilla. subtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A touch, a hint. Yeah. yeah. No, this is, yeah, this is like a brown with like smooth ass vanilla finishes all the way through. It was awesome. And uh, I ended up, 
ordering a couple myself, you know, she she recommended how good it was. And then I, I remember looking it up the next day. I'm like, you ordered a brown ale? She's like, yeah, it looked good. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, it's just kind of crazy the way that works. Um, but yeah, so that one was delicious. But and that's that's why I passed on the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale because I can get it down the street. I can get a four pack for fourteen bucks. I had one last night; it was delicious, and now I'm having another one. It just I go through these so fast because I love them so much. Yeah, yeah. It's like when we go to Harland. You, you're not going to get the Japanese lager because you can get it pretty much at any store, Trader Joe's, whatever. So we kind of when we're going there, we're trying. Okay, what do you guys got new? What's what's the new flavor of the month? Type totally. Thing? Totally. Yeah. I feel like if people burn a spot on their flight with one of those things, they should just sort of be backhanded. <laughs> you know, and I got I did a little bit of a pregame today, too. So mm. I've been doing something. I guess this is kind of a bullshit thing, but it leads into, you know, drinking. Um, yeah. So I've been doing uh, cold plunges. So my sister read something online regarding, like, dementia and Alzheimer's that cold plunges are good good for people that suffer from that or could potentially suffer from that helps stave it off, I guess. And what happens is when you do the cold plunge, your body sends all the blood to your vital organs and it kind of gives you a refresh. And, Mm -hmm. uh, me and my sister have terrible memories. Like my memory is garbage. And, and I don't know if that was, I think that's just genetic thing. And then you add 10 years wrestling on top of that, you know, we, we got some issues. So, or me personally. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to start doing this. So about three to four times a week, I'll do a cold plunge. And um, what sucks is, so it's so cold here in San Diego late that I've been doing the cold plunges in our in our community pool, right? And there's a jacuzzi, a hot jacuzzi, just staring at me while I'm freezing my ass off. And I'm like, damn it, I want to go in there. But you can't do it. After you do your cold plunge, you know, I'll do six, they recommend six to eight minutes, no more than eight minutes. Because after that, you can start to get sick or whatever, right? So... When I've been doing these, I'm just staring at this jacuzzi over there, and they're like, well, you have to ha- let your body turn or, or get back to a normal body temperature on its own. So mm. going in the jacuzzi is not recommended. So yeah. every time I do this, the jacuzzi is just staring staring at me as I'm looking at the clock and like listening to something on my phone to distract me. And um, so what I decided to do was kind of rotate days. So the days that I don't do the cold plunge, I'm going to go in the jacuzzi. Mm-hmm. And, um, when me and my girlfriend would go in the jacuzzi before we would always bring a drink with us. And so I was like, Hey, I got 20 minutes before the, before dinner's ready. I'm going to go in the jacuzzi for a bit. And I was like, Oh, let's go old school. I grabbed myself a Ashland hard seltzer Uh-oh. and yeah. So I was just chilling in the jacuzzi, having myself a Ashland hard seltzer. We had some dinner and Hey, now I'm drinking. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. I think I'm going to be okay, but, uh, it might get a little slushy towards the end. So we'll see. I can. I can feel I can feel the invisible gauntlet you have thrown down and that gauntlet is saying <laughs> Keith you must have some bourbon after you finish this bourbon barrel ale cuz the problem with this fucking thing is I love it so much I drink it I drink it fast mm. in fact we had uh, we had our weekly invader call last night that's when I busted it out and we were going through like whatever and we only got two agenda items in and I'm like holy shit I'm done <laughs> you know like what the hell it's just it's too good again it it just whatever that flavor profile is I said that this is either my favorite or second favorite beer the beer that it is tied with is also a bourbon barrel beer. It is the oh, okay. uh, Goose Island Bourbon Barrel Stout. Basically the OG, if I know my history well in beer, of bourbon barrel stouts. It's the first one that did it. Oh, and wow. it's okay. it's fantastic. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that you know that's going to show up on a future podcast for sure because I got a couple of them. Oh, but 
Enough beer. Boy, we uh, we we definitely went some nice some nice beer talk there, but this is not a beer podcast, it's a comics podcast. So what was the first thing you did this week? Well, I did three pages this week. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And and that is because of the Slack method. When you're working on multiple pages at once, eventually that's going to catch up with you in a good way. So you may not get a page done every week using the Slack method, but one week you're going to get three done. And that's what happened this week. I had three pages that one was pretty much uh, a start to finish. And then the other two was just like they needed one to two panels a piece, something like that. So I was able to knock out my page for the week. And then I was able to knock out a couple of more that just needed one one to two panels. And, um, you know, some of these snakes are getting out of this burning building, man, because mm-hmm. there was some difficult ones to do. And I'm just in the mindset right now. It's like we're counting down. We're literally counting down how many pages are left before this book is done. So as of right now, it is five panels left and four pages, within four pages. So as soon as, oh, you know, I think, I actually, no, it's less than now. I think it's four panels and three pages because that was the third page that I just finished yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. So I have three pages left, four panels to go. And, um, yeah, we're at the countdown clock, man. And, and what happens when you get this late in the game with it, you're just in such an excitement to finish the project that you're going to start churning through stuff. So a couple of the panels that I do have left, I think it's two and two situation. It's two really hard panels and two like so-so panels. And, Mm -hmm. um, I should say that panel that I have left is actually a page. So once I knock that that one it's a splash image so it's just like okay once i finish this it's it's you know move on to the next thing that's a page off of the off of the um you know ticked off so um yeah man it's an exciting part of the process because no matter how difficult these panels are going to be i'm in the right mindset for it to just knock them out and uh there was a couple of ones that were just really interesting really different than how i laid it out and that was part of the fun of the process. Like I was putting off one of these panels. It was actually a potential snake because of how I laid it out. I was like, man, at this particular angle, it's like a, it's kind of a, a Dutch angle, three quarter down look on the apartment, you know, with one of the characters in the foreground. And I was like, man, I got to draw a lot of nonsense background kind of for no reason. You know, it's just where this character is sitting in the room you're going to see a lot of this background and it's kind of pointless. It has nothing to do with what's going on in the scene. This is just the, where she's located. And so when I got to this page, I was like, let me see if I can rework this because I, I just don't like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, I might have to take a reference photo for this because of the angle of it. Um, you know, using my girlfriend as, as a, you know, body double there. And I was like, you know what? I want to just try something different. And I tried kind of like this up angle coming from the counter. And it just looked so much better. It kind of looked like majestic in a way. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, it kind of superheroes the panel up a little bit, even though this character is doing something mundane. It just mm-hmm. looks cooler. And uh, it solved that problem. I was re-able, I was able to rework the panel um, to, to in a way where you can see some of the background, but it's not a difficult image to draw it's like i have the map of the apartment laid out in my head so i was like oh okay so when you know you're looking at this camera angle you're just kind of looking down the hall you could see a bit of the tv maybe the front door maybe not 
And uh, so when I laid it out, I was like, yeah, this is super easy. So I was able to bang it out pretty quick and really happy with the results. And um, yeah, it's a fun part of the process when you can rework the panel and make it look better than the previous and it's easier. Yeah, I mean, that's it's neat because it's flexible thinking. You are taking this thing and you are doing that whole matrix camera spin in your head and you're kind of doing it, you know, 360 cubic degrees, right? You mm-hmm. are you are moving it all around and you're saying, what is the most interesting angle I can present this particular thing at? So that's cool, man. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it the end result is you got a better panel out of it and that matters. Yeah, the important part of that panel was the character. And mm-hmm. I thought the angle that I had it wasn't the best representation of that character. It was like, yeah, you get to see them doing something, but it's just kind of whatever. It's like a whatever panel. Yeah. Now with the change of the angle, it's like if this wasn't digital, I'd be like, I could sell this page. Like this would be an easy mm-hmm. page to sell. If, if my comic pages were worth anything, this is one of the pages that could go because you have this yeah. nice almost of a splashier type image or it's the anchor image of this particular page. And, you know, it's a female character. She's a good looking character. And so, yeah, this page would sell, you know, if it wasn't digital. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Hey, that's again, that's good. It's creative problem solving. It's the kind of problem solving that everybody out there drawing and in different contexts, writing or whatever, making comics is doing every single day, every single panel, you know, um, to, to make the story be as good as possible. So very cool, man. Yeah, more um, interesting, too, to look at. Yeah, hopefully. totally, totally. Uh, okay, so for my first thing, I don't know. I, I think I think this is just a follow-up to last week because I'm pretty sure I did bring this up last week that I'd, in, in reading that book that was disappointing to me and how I thought it was telling the story in the wrong place, I believe I talked about this. Again, I've had the conversation a few times. Hopefully, one of them was on the podcast. I'm not sure that you have. I'm trying to okay. think if this is... Tell me a little bit more. Maybe it'll click okay. in my brain. So how about this? I'll do a quick summary regardless. Okay. I was reading somebody else's book, and I was... What I found upset... Like, I didn't like it. And one of the reasons I didn't like it is because I felt they were telling, taking the wrong places to tell the story. Yeah, we did talk about it. It was okay. the one about yeah, the person sounds- making the eggs. It was one, of the, yes. one about the person making the eggs. That's right. Uh, so, so we did talk about it. And I spent a good solid three days re-editing, um, you know, basically the opening, like chapter from my book. It's actually the prologue, um, uh, uh, reworking the prologue. With that in mind, because I'm like, maybe I told the story in the wrong place, and I, I believe I mentioned that part in context as well. And mm-hmm. so I did get to the point where I had something that I believe I liked. I like it. I haven't looked at it in a couple of days, and I sent it off to Mike. So. You know, that I, I just said, hey, what do you think? Yeah, I, I had actually given him, a he- given him a heads up for three protectors. And then uh, the next day I was like, I ah, actually this kind of popped in my head and I want to send you this, <laughs> you know, so in addition. But it's short. It's only six pages. So it, it should be a pretty quick thing to read. And uh, we'll see what he says whenever he gets to it. So I, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I, I like it. I think it's. It's doing a couple things, which any piece of writing should always do. You can't just do one thing in any page. You got to do multiple things. So it it sets the tone. It is consistent with like the theme of the story. It's consistent with stuff that happens later in the story, etc. And some of those things are subtle changes because as it had been written before, there were some inconsistencies or maybe the kind of thing that people wouldn't notice is an inconsistency, but I noticed it, you know, so... I can't really get into details on it without just turning this into a, a, a lengthy thing, but I, I feel good about it. And now it's in someone else's hands and I've kind of hit the tennis ball across the net and we'll see what happens. 
Oh yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it, that's more of just a continuation thing of last week. So go ahead, man. Jump on to your second thing. I only have one more thing and then one more freeform conversation that I want to have that might round out this section, but we'll get to those. Okay. Yeah, I have two more, um, I guess. Perfect. Um, okay, yeah, so yeah. Perfect. The color mermaid piece came back in from Joaquin, my colorist. Um, he banged it out. Honestly, he didn't do what I was hoping, um, what I requested was something more of a traditional because this is like a it's like set in japan and um i was hoping for kind of a kind of an old school look to it Mm -hmm. and the piece looks amazing but it just looks like any other piece that we do together like it's just our style together and i was like oh he didn't take any of the notes okay and uh (laughs) i was just like all right well I'm going to send it to my, my commissioner and see what he thinks. If he's fine mm-hmm. with it, then I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I had told him what I was kind of thinking. I told the commissioner what I was thinking for the piece. And he goes, it sounds like you have an idea, so we'll just run with it. Um, so what I got back wasn't what I asked for. But, you know, Joaquin's amazing. He does amazing work. And I was like, it's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, let's just see what the commissioner says. If the commissioner's cool with it, then we're cool with it. Like, no, mm-hmm. no issues here. So... Um, it'll be interesting. So an email was sent off to, to my client and just, you know, plus the image and just waiting to hear back if that's good with him. And then if that is the case, then I will get some shit together to get printed. Um, uh, cause I have a local printer, but they like a certain amount done with them. They like, it's hard pressed to just get one piece from them, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're not charging that much. It's like 50 cents to a buck. So it's like, they're not they're not really doing that. It's not Kinko's where you could just go in and do one. Yeah. And, uh, so, so yeah, so I gotta try to get some stuff together, go through my, um, convention, uh, convention portfolio and see what needs to be reordered and just do kind of a couple of things from him. Um, and then get that printed off and sent off to my client. So, but hopefully he digs it. I hate giving Joaquin too many notes, especially if like the distance between when he finished it to when, the you know the corrections come in it's just like ah, i feel like i'm inconveniencing him so uh, mm-hmm. hopefully the commissioner likes it yeah i mean groovy right like uh, that i use the same printer you recommended them to me and i get it it just becomes this building building a print job together uh because you can't just order one thing so it happens it happens although it, it does uh bear mentioning kind of a, a distant early warning to paraphrase rush um this episode is going to air, I believe it's going to air the 23rd, something like that. So when it does, um, just know, party people, that we are probably less than, when this airs, we're going to be less than a month from Scott and I both doing Kickstarters, I think. I know I'm going to do a Kickstarter for Kadoja Volume 4, Number 2 in February. And I think that might be when Scott has his next Kickstarter up. And then a month after that, in March, we're going to be tag team back again at WonderCon Anaheim. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning that part of it is that I was just walking around today thinking like, I probably have to do a little pre-work for the convention already. Just that that kind of pre-work where it's like, do I need to order anything? Because if I do, then now is the time to do it, to give it plenty of time to get here, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we'll see where it all ends up. But yeah, it's shaking off the cobwebs a little bit because uh, convention season's on the horizon. Again, I'm, you and I both do, I, I do a greatly reduced convention workload than I used to do. But uh, that's the space I'm in right now. And, and we're going to roll with that. 
you know, plus uh, I feel that my distribution around the country is a lot better through Invader, through Diamond, etc. So I feel like at least I have some reach, even if I'm not going to a ton of conventions. Yeah, man, I'm kind of in the creator headspace right now, less in the convention headspace. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of like, and I know I need to do it. And if you're making comics on your own and you're on the indies, you have to do it. Um, but I'm such in a mind a mind space right now that I just want to stay home and I want to create. I don't feel like going to conventions and you know that whole that whole circus act that we have to do when we're there. But it's just it's a necessary evil. And so yeah, same. I have to get my head right, you know, shake off the cobwebs and get the orders mm-hmm. together. And then, you know, like you said, we'll be back at it in March. Um, and I think my Kickstarter might be closer to March. I'm not quite sure. And that's going to be all dependent on Joaquin and when he can get the oh. pages colored. So it's just like, I, as I'm closing up on the art side of it all, um, number one, I need to get my assistant flatter um, I hire out some of the flatting to to a guy, and so he's really quick. He does he does a great job, and uh, he's greatly priced. So it's just like okay, I need to start sending him the more difficult pages, and then as soon as I finish drawing this, then I'll start flatting the easy ones, knocking those out as fast as possible, and just kind of giving Joaquin something to do. You know, as the pages are being flat, it's like let's just keep him busy. Let's get him in. You know, if he's got the time, let's get him get him these pages as soon as possible because the sooner he finishes, the more I'm inclined to start the Kickstarter process. Mm -hmm. It's like everything has to be in order before I get that going for me personally. And honestly, you creators out there, I feel like it should be the same. Um, You know, if you're doing your own book, you're, you're the one in charge of the process. You know, if you can get, make sure you're getting most of this done before you even do that Kickstarter, because it's really annoying waiting for books. Sometimes it's like, man, I haven't, I think I backed this Kickstarter two years ago. Where's this book at? You know, and and so that's annoying. And Mm -hmm. it makes it more likely for someone to not back your project again because you're taking forever to give the product that you promised. Um, And if you're late, it sucks. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you because part of my strategy or timing around the Kickstarter is probably the day the Kickstarter, well, maybe not the day because, you know, you'll be like, pushing the kickstarter but i'll probably start the lettering before then because in my case the art is done um you know some work still needs to get done like i need to do the keith cover to it um, because i am going to do covers for each of the uh, issues and uh and i need to do the lettering and all that kind of stuff but uh that at least i can get started on that because i also don't want much of a gap between the close of the kickstarter and people at least getting like the digital delivered or something like that right so anyway all again it's all part of shaking off those cobwebs though the ramp down at the end of the year was great and uh now here we are we're back (laughs) we're back and and stuff starting to, to fire up again yep exactly the engine warming up yeah exactly exactly so uh so for my second thing I did hint at this a little bit when I told Mike that I was going to send him the volume two script of three protectors. And that was the second thing I did. So it was it was a good amount of work, but it was really fun work. So I had written the bones of the script and and all of the scene direction pretty much. With the exception of the first couple pages. So I think the comic ends up clocking in over 40 pages. I can't remember exactly how much. And then when you add things that I'll do like title separators or maybe extra narration, we'll probably be up near 50. The first one was 60, 
oh, what was it? 64, 68, something like that. So this is going to be right around, you know, this will be a little shorter, but you know, the story is the story. But the first few pages were where I just left a lot of placeholders and it was time to dig back into those placeholders. And so the first few pages are essentially nothing but fighting. And it's a Kung Fu book. Anybody who's read that, you know, knows it. And if not, well, then I say it all the time on the podcast anyway. It's Kung Fu in space. So the issue starts with a whole lot of Kung Fu. But it was time to get down into the actual nitty gritty of it, right? So the questions that I wrote down, these are the kind of questions I was asking myself. So what's the fight choreography? Who are the opponents and what are their fighting styles? Where are the fights taking place? Like, what's the landscape? What kung fu are my characters using and what do they call it? So it's all of those things. So it was fun in in the sense that, like, I got to get pretty creative with some of the stuff I did. Like, I'm pretty pleased with it. And uh, I will share that with you at least after, just for fun, after I get it back from Mike. So I'm probably going to send it out to Lance as well, just for a quick read and parallel to Mike. And then once I get it to that, then... You know, I'm assuming that Mike's notes will allow me to do one more revision and then have a final script and then I can work on getting an artist on it. Um, you know, the next book that I'm going to get drawn is Kadoja Volume 2, Number 3, even though Number 2 is done. So I'm probably going to fire that up in a month or two, but after that will be Three Protectors. It's very budget reliant, right? That's, that's the only limiting factor here. It's going to be budget because I'm going to need to pay for one and then pay for the other. But uh, but yeah, man, I feel good. I mean, it, it was it's cool to go from things like you know, panel one fight <laughs> to <laughs> panel one with the description of the people that are in it, the move they're using, their thing they're doing. And of course, as you as you write that, that then triggers something else. And before you know it, you're like, yeah, and then this could happen and then that could happen. And now you have yourself some pretty cool things going on. So yeah, again, pretty pleased with how it came out. And now we'll We'll see what Mike says because I hit send on the uh, volume two first draft PDF about an hour ago. So, uh, so yeah, man, now it's in, in Mike's hands and, uh, and we'll see what the notes come back on. Right on, man. Yeah. That's it's all of your projects. They're, they're starting to, um, you know, ramp down, like in a sense on your end, you know, you're getting your end of it done and, uh, it's good, man. It's, it's such a great yeah. feeling. Like, and I, I'm, I feel like that right now, obviously with second shift 13, because it's, you know, literally four panels away, four to five panels away from being completed. And mm-hmm. then um, being already halfway done with Wanderers number four, just from the Drawtober stuff. So it's great when you get that feeling of wrapping up an issue. And then um, I have that excitement of starting this new project as soon as Second Shift 13 is done. And I'm, I'm wondering myself how long that's going to be. And I feel like I'm going to burn through it really fast once I start drawing it. Like once we mm-hmm. get that, that script laid out and you know, how the story's going to go, I think I'm going to really burn through it. And I'm not sure if I want it to be six pages to 10. It's going to be six to 10 pages. I'm just not sure where. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I might need all 10. And that's that's the thing. You know, it's like uh, it is going to be part of an anthology series initially um, because honestly, that's all I have the time for. I can't do three full full-size books per year it's already slowing down the process you know every every new title that i i add to my workload so um as of right now to live in this anthology series so but i might need all 10 pages of it um just because this is the introductory part of the story and i want the way i want to do it is going to take it's going to burn some pages like Mm -hmm. the intro to it is going to burn a lot of pages and then 
I have a feeling how it's going to end off is the introduction to certain parts of the story, and then that will leave you with a cliffhanger and, you know, wanting the next part of that story. So, yeah. um, and then after that, the frustrating part will be finishing the other projects so I can finish that part of the story. You know, it's yeah. just, a, it's a vicious cycle, this art thing. That's okay though. But it's also, it's also a thing where you have a lot of ideas and you just want to get to them. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's par for the course, you know, when you have people like us that just don't have a ton of time to devote to this particular bit of what we do every day, you know, so I'm going to give away, you know, we're going to talk about this at length next week. Um, but I was surveying the landscape of what I'd, I like to do, I would like to do in 2023 and uh, kind of figuring out, okay, so this means I plan on having this many books come out. You know, like that kind of thing, writing and getting around that. And you can only have so many books come out. You know, we both have our limiting factors for you. Mm -hmm. It's time. And for me, it's money to give artists. But even even if I had unlimited money to give artists, I still wouldn't want to do that many books because the nice thing that's a limiting factor for me is the fact that I am part of a company. And I mean, Kadoja, like I release that with Invader's Blessing, but we don't release that through Diamond. So that gives me some free agency on it with the single issues. The trade paperback, obviously, is part of Invader's rotation. It's slated for 2024, etc. But because I like those dopamine hits on the way, and because I know people out there like single issues, I want to release it as single issues along the way as you know, small Kickstarters, and then it's available in really limited quantities at conventions. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, I have an Invader schedule that I'm part of as well, which sort of helps me not feel as bad that, you know, I don't have just infinite pools of money so I can just, you know, make all these comics in the world, you know. Um, like yeah. I think I've told you before, one of the thing I envy the most about people who, like, write comics for a living, like, absolute primary source of income, isn't isn't the fact that they write comics for a living. It's that they just don't have to pay artists because comic companies do it. It's like, how great is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Man, that's cool. Man, that's hey, cool. hire someone yeah. to turn my ideas into reality. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they obviously split and all that stuff. But anyway, um, did you have anything else before I get to my third thing? Yeah, yeah. My last thing is um, I just got a text maybe an hour or two before we started recording this podcast. Ed got his laptop back. So, oh, yeah, wow. if you guys listen to the holiday-ish episodes, um, I talked about not having your shit in the car you know, like visible, you know, throw it in the trunk if you can, because unfortunately my writer's uh, uh, backpack got stolen out of his car while he was in the gym mm -hmm. and uh, they broke his window. They saw his backpack there under his jacket, um, took the backpack, took the jacket. And uh, yeah, I got a text saying I got my laptop back and I'm like, what the fuck? How did that even happen? And apparently the people that stole his stuff, they've been robbing many of people in that area for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, they, it got recovered because Ed is in the school district. He, he's a teacher. And that laptop belonged to the school district that he works for. So they left it out at a neighbor's house with the sticker um, there, like visible. They, they didn't take the sticker off like a bunch of idiots. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got reported. And oh, nice. so, yeah, so, so yeah, the, and... He got his laptop back, and um, I'm not sure if he has it in his possession as of right now. There is a mm -hmm. process um, yeah. that they have to go through, but I think maybe because that uh, the laptop was not at that property, uh, he might have gotten it back already. I'm not quite sure, but I do know that 
there was surveillance and they did see his backpack and his jacket that was covering the backpack. So nice. funny enough. So fingers crossed at some point he'll finally get that stuff back. And, uh, you know, but like I said, it is a process when he will eventually get it back. And he's not sure what's left in it because obviously there's nothing to show, uh, you know, on the footage that it's open and what's in there, the contents of, of the bag. Uh, but he did tell me that a lot of stuff that he did have on his laptop itself was uploaded to the Google Drive. So that stuff is safe. And uh, so, you know, it's the handwritten notes that he's missing. That's that's the missing element to this all. So we'll see when that finally comes back in and uh, what's actually left, unless they just chucked everything in there. So what would have been really interesting is if Ed got the laptop back, laptop back and there were notes, like they had revised his writing. <laughs> they were like, you know, cool. this just doesn't really work for me. I think yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to work harder on this character's introduction and <laughs> exactly i'm glad i stole this shit at the gym because this needed a little work right <laughs> so anyway uh, but but uh no that that's so that's great to hear that's great to hear and you know it's good to hear that there are some decent people out there that saw that awkward laptop thing they probably had a, you know if it got reported that means that whoever reported it had a suspicion about these knuckleheads anyway so yeah right good for yeah. them glad it got recovered and that's excellent news so, all right. So, um, on to my third thing. This one is a little more theoretical, I guess. And it's a thought, it's a thought that's so fresh. I don't think there's a resolution. Um, I don't want to get into the details of how I got my thought because it's a bit roller coastery and I'm not sure it exactly makes sense. But a couple hours ago, I was watching a video. And that video sparked a, yeah, you got it. You got it. Uh, uh, I was watching a, a video on the creative process of porn and uh, yeah, creating a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I was watching a video on the creative process and it spurred a thought or two that sort of jarred me. And one of the thoughts that I have resolved one of them already but the other one that is lingering in my head is, am I writing the correct novel right now? Is this the novel I should be writing? The second novel. I'm 20, I'm 18, 19,000 words in. That is uh, ooh, 90 plus pages, 90 plus pages. No, wait, 25,000 words is 100 pages. So we're talking about 75 pages, something like that. I've written 75 pages already. And I think that I am writing the right novel, but I sort of can't get this thought out of my head. And and I, I just need time to, I'm not kidding, I need time to relax and take a walk or relax on my drive and listen to jazz or listen to death metal or do whatever I need to do to kind of relax and unwind. And really understand if if I'm writing the correct novel. Because I have other ideas for a novel that aren't as far along. But they're a bit more personal. They, they tap into a bit more personal experience. They tell stories that are just a little bit more um, earthbound. Um, and I think that I could still do something with them. Now, these things are in their infancy. They are germs of ideas. But the reason that I'm having this thought about am I writing the right novel is because I am stalling right now on this novel. 
you know, and and one of the reasons I'm stalling is because I keep on writing a couple pages at a time, and then I get to this, oh my god, I have to do so much research, I don't feel right continuing to to write through this without a good level of research. Maybe, and this is just an idea, take the uh, Tim Redecky model, and maybe write a couple of paragraphs of each of the stories, story ideas that you have in your head, almost kind of like an ash can. Just do mm. a couple of paragraphs of each story, hand those to some people that you trust and go, which of these stories is more interesting? Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's something you entertain. Like if you are feeling like you're writing the wrong thing right now, yeah. and obviously you have 75 pages of this story that you're working on. Mm-hmm. So it's there. So, yeah. so a lot of it's there. You don't have all of it. You don't have all the research done, but you have right. a lot done and it's always going to be there. But yeah. if you have these other ideas that are a little more personal and you can rattle that story off, off of the top of your head, more or less, because it is personal, it's off of personal events or things happen mm-hmm. in your life and right. you know, you're modifying or whatever, you might yeah. be able to just roll with it. So, mm-hmm. um, j- just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think it's a great idea. Again, like this is so fresh, like straight up, Scott, this is. This happens every now and then where there are times where I wish that instead of like instead of recording this podcast, I lived 10 miles from you and we could say, fuck the podcast tonight, man. I got to talk through some shit. Let's go have some beers. Right. Like that's kind of where I am on this because I I know I'm going to get through it. I just got to figure it out because, you know, so much of this, too, is. Again, there's all these little factors, right? Like that's one factor. It's obviously not a memoir that I'm that I'm looking to write. It's just it could be a lot more personal. And again, it was particularly spurred on by this this creative process video I watched. We can talk about it after we stop recording if if you want. But the other thing that keeps coming in my head is how grand the design for the second novel is like it's a rather grand novel it's rather ambitious it's 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 smarter and more layered than my first novel and i think my first novel's good you know but i think that these this is even smarter and more layered so it's just i'm in that spot right now where you know you hit the snag and it's like the third snag you've hit and you're not really pouring out the words and you need to you know i'm asking myself Am I sure I'm writing the right novel right now? Now, this has nothing to do with the story. The story in the second novel, I love. It's just, again, this is what I need to sort out. Could it be a comic instead? Should it be a comic instead? Should these new ideas that are popping in my head be comics instead? And that's that's what I need to suss out. And I will suss it out over time. We're, we're getting up on the weekend here. I don't have a lot planned. So I'm sure I can take some long walks and figure it out and, you know, cue up jazz and I'll be good to go. But yeah, it'll be interesting to think through it. The most likely thing that's going to happen is I am going to do exactly what I was doing before. And I'm glad I had this water test of the novel to make it happen, you know, but um, anyway, so we'll see. Again, I need to think through it a little bit more and just get over the the kind of backhand to the face I took with the realization from this video that I was watching you know, a couple hours ago. Right. And, and I'm probably even overtaking it. It's just one of these dumb things, you know, but it is, it is interesting to think about. I can't get it out of my head. And again, this might, this might get resolved so quickly that by the time I listen back to this, 
maybe not in editing, but by the time I listen back to this when it airs, I might be like, oh my God, yeah, that's right. Those were those couple days that I went through this little thing, and now that's such a distant memory. It's already happened on this podcast. I've already had things like that where I'm like, huh, that was funny. Yeah, that was like that three-day period <laughs> where I actually where I actually thought that thing, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, no, I, I have those two. Um, man, I've gone through so many different ideas and thought processes while we've been doing this podcast. Um, you know, just how I think about things, more or less they're the same, but then every once in a while something will creep in and I'll go, maybe I'm doing this wrong. You know, maybe I need to be doing it more like this or like that, mm-hmm. like this person. Um, but then you get some validation that says, no, no, you're, you're doing it right. Like the thing you're doing is, is pretty cool. I dig that thing. And, right. um, you know, and it makes you go, oh, phew, okay, good, because I thought I was doing that well, and I just wasn't sure for a little bit. I think, you know, um, I think everyone has that, you know, yeah. like that, that thought process that goes through, through your mind that makes you question the things that you're doing. And hopefully you do have that, because if you're not doing that, you might you might be an insane person. You might be like a crazy person or something. <laughs> you're a fucking lunatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, some kind of egomaniac where you think your shit doesn't stink. So it's good yeah. to have those crises of uh, conscience get into yeah. your brain and you know make you make you second guess things. And then before you know it, you're like, no, no, I was wrong. I, yeah. What I'm doing right now is is what I'm supposed to be doing. And and exactly, uh, you know. But it but it gave you the thought and totally. it made you work through it. it made you yeah. work through. Well, no, I'm doing this, and that's all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And hey, I was right initially. Yep. So. And and as a and as a result, you've forged that idea just a little more in fire, so that you're you're even better to proceed. So it's going to come out well one way or the other. It's just a matter of me, you know, working my way through it. However, however it comes out. Um, so let's get to our main topic. Um, our main topic. God, I don't even know what I, I think. We're just going to call this. I don't know if I'll make this the title, but word word to uh, the junior mafia. We're going to call this "Get Money" because that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> that's right. Um, and and so we're gonna let's let's start, Scott, by you giving a little bit of a run up on what you listened to, what prompted it, and the kind of thoughts that at least we wanted to present here as a summary of the the thing that we both watched. I watched it at at your behest, and so I was prepared, and uh, and then we're going to take it uh, in a little bit of a direction beyond that once we're done with this part. Yeah, right on. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching a couple of different YouTube channels and just kind of listening to creators talk about their process and just kind of any like creators that I respect and I trust their opinion just because I've read things in the past from them. And I was like, they give really good advice. I wonder what they're talking about in this interview. And one of those people that I watched was Sean Gordon Murphy. And he was on a YouTube channel talking about money and how you can make money and how you can keep money in comics. Now, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I want to see what he's talking about. But you also have to know going into it, that Sean Gordon Murphy is one of the highest paid comic book artists around. So it's just like, okay, let's let's see what his point of view is, but he's on the top of the mountain looking down at everybody else. So so let's mm-hmm. see if this applies to me or anyone around my area, you know, of, of expertise in comics and uh, or lack thereof, however you want to look at it. So 
a lot of his points. Do you just want me to hit the high points, like what we took away from it, essentially? Hit, yeah, I mean, this, this ends up being kind of like one of those reaction videos to a thing. Tell me your high points, and then I might throw a comment or two on top of it. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. We'll go one by one here. How about that? Well, no, just um, yeah, summarize all your all your high points, what you thought, and then we can you know do whatever. But yeah, well, I I, have, fuck it, just say shit. I'm going to say words now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I have is about three big takeaways. I really did enjoy the interview. It was it was very good. Um, I've been watching this guy's channel, the guy that did the interview. He actually has he has a friendship with Sean Gordon Murphy. He's talked to him a whole bunch of times, and um, so I think there's like three or four interviews with him on that channel and it's called comics by perch um p-e-r-c-h so you can look that up i've been catching up on his feed he releases a video like every other day every few days or something like that uh, i'm not quite sure but he has a lot like there's a good turnaround there every time i get on my channel uh or my subscription i see something new from him mm-hmm. and he's a very interesting person um he's not for everyone i'll say that like the way he talks and it's very abrasive at times and he kind of is he just says whatever the fuck he wants and mm-hmm. i like that i'm that kind of person myself because i am uh, someone that's not afraid to hear the opposite side of the fence and he seems like a well-balanced individual somewhere i would say he's you know he's more center than anything else maybe center right i'm not quite sure i haven't listened to that many episodes but i've listened to quite a few things whereas i'm like more center left like i'll listen to mm-hmm. both sides if you're being a reasonable person i'm cool with it so, um, and you'll say some crazy shit. So if you guys are okay with that, I think you'll be okay with it. The reason why we're talking about this particular interview is really to deal with some misconceptions, I think, that some creators and some fans might have about comic books. Not all comic creators are killing it financially. A lot are living close or under the poverty level. That's right. just the, that's the reality of the situation. A lot of creators have other jobs that they have to do in order to maintain a life. You know, they'll, they'll, there's there's comic book creators that are doing storyboards once a year. Like, I remember working a comic convention. I was working San Diego Comic-Con. And I was working next to a guy. And he had said that once a year he does storyboards because him and his wife need health care. Mm-hmm. His wife was like a librarian or something. Um, you know, he was doing comic books. But once a year, he would do storyboards for a movie or, you know, some kind of movie in order to get that health care. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of comic creators are getting by, you know, with these spouses that have the good job, the stable job. And then they're getting to live their their dream of being comic book artists and bringing whatever they bring. Uh, another thing is Sean Gordon Murphy also diversifies his portfolio, even though he's on the top of the food chain. He's like the top you know, 3% of comic creators in the comic book industry, he still diversifies his portfolio. Look, he... Jizza mm-hmm. said it. Jizza said it. Yeah. You need to diversify your bonds. <laughs> diversify your bonds, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, and so he, he dabbles in real estate, and obviously he makes comics, but he makes a large majority of his money in comic uh, art sales, original art sales. Mm-hmm. So there's there's multiple ways to do that. Obviously, if you're making comic books, you're work. Let's say you're working on Batman or something. You can sell those pages. You can sell Batman pages, like for sure. That's not going to be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Um, where that's different for Sean Gordon Murphy is he's getting like two two thousand per interior page, and that's just not 
how it works with most comic book artists that I've mm-hmm. seen. You know, I bought and I bought pages off of Ryan Otley. I got two pages off him for two hundred bucks, a hundred bucks a page. These are things that I really want people to think about when you're creating these comic books. You know, dealing with the misconceptions of you're not going to be killing it like Sean Gordon Murphy on year one, two, three, four, five, maybe. You know, it's something you need to keep in mind when you're doing these books or you're jumping into this this realm of making comic books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so I have a few thoughts and I'll just go scattershot here. I think... I do think that that information is helpful to frame what you, you the person listening right now, want out of comics. Because, so when Scott and I were texting back and forth around this, you know, we were, Scott was like, you know, he said, you should you know, watch this as homework. So I watched it and I was like, okay, I watched it. And you're like, what do you think? And I, I said, you know, my, my main thing is that Sean Gordon Murphy's interview I think is aimed at fellow people who are making a living in comics with that being their sole profession and so what he talks about in a lot of cases uh, is a reference to people that are sort of living this glamorous dream of trying to you know so-called glamorous of trying to be the Sean Gordon Murphy type and settling for lesser money or settling for people telling you what to do or whatever but those are people who are trying to be like lifers you know drawing in the industry and if look if you're listening right now and that's what you want to be we get it odds are there's another source of income there so when i think about the sean gordon murphy stuff i like thinking about it i think it's interesting but i also want to try to apply it to us it is more directed towards the artists that are working in comics now that was something he brought up he goes hey not i have friends in the business they're not fighting for their page rate. They're afraid that they're going to lose the gig. So they keep what they make and they never try to get a raise, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's true. And I think that applies to a lot of people at other jobs as well. Um, but that also applies to, I think, where I think this interview is di- directly uh, directed towards those comic creators. The way I think it applies to us, the the indie workers is I think there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that that is their goal. Their goal is to work for Marvel or DC or Image or another company. You know, it might be, hey, I I want I want to do my own book. I want to work for Image. I want to work for one of these indies where I can create my stories. And that's all well and good. But this is something that applies to you because you need to know this is the pond you're jumping into. You know, and it's just like, I find this is very much similar to uh, independent wrestling when I was wrestling and pro, pro wrestling in general. Um, people working at WWE, they're making money. They're living off of pro wrestling. The majority of everyone else is not. You mm-hmm. know, and you have those people that are on the 40000 a year level somewhere around there. But those are like the top indie guys, mm-hmm. you know, like, or, or maybe they're making a little bit more than that. But the top indie guys are making basically what... I don't know. I think the average Joe makes now. And right. so it's just something to keep into in perspective when you're thinking about making comic books and aspiring it for, for it to be your full-time gig. You are more than likely going to need to still keep those side hustles, you know, whether it be loading up on your commissions per year, making sure you have enough of that side income. You are working traditionally on certain pages. So you have something to sell. You know, if you are working for, a comic book company, you're going to want to have some traditional work in order for you to sell those at convention that might, that might help out your total at the end of the year. 
something mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, I mean, real MCs have day jobs. This ties into that. In my case, I mean it from a creative standpoint, that if you have a day job, then that's going to allow you to make whatever piece of art you want to make. And you can make it esoteric and you can make it weird because you don't care anymore. Right. Like you're you're stable and you can create with full creator privilege instead of creating to eat food or pay rent or do those things. Right. That's actually something he pointed out as well, um, that those creators that do have those spouses with the day job that have that, you know, they have they make a good paycheck and they also have that that health care. It does allow those creators to live that dream and kind of it not be as high stakes as you being the breadwinner and you know, having to take care of everything. Right, right. So the important takeaways here are to marry someone who has a day job and has a good health care plan. That's right. (laughs) Marry a sugar mama or sugar daddy. Whatever you're into, marry that and uh, you'll be right as rain. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, exactly. This is this is making (laughs) comics. Five stars, people. Uh, No, so so I think now, so that was the summary, okay? This is the part where we try to tailor it just a little bit more to what, I mean, Scott and I sounds like we have slightly different opinions on what the listening audience is, but hey, that's what the Making Comics Podcast at gmail.com email address is for, so you can tell us uh, which one of us is right. Something that I thought would be an interesting thing to add on is, you know, like, look, Scott makes money in a bunch of different sources, in a bunch of different ways. I make Mail money prostitution. in a- I make money in a few different ways. And so what I want to do is I want to take it back since, again, what we believe is that a lot of people listening are, you know, either out there hustling just like us or you might be a little behind. You know, you're just starting out your journey. You are a year in instead of 10, you know, whatever it is. So, Scott, you know, commissions, I think. That's a little intuitive, but maybe you can talk about how the commission business built up. But I'm really interested in how you first got your gig at pro wrestling loot, you know, because that's something you make money on. It's commissions and and you have that as a viable source of income. Of course, the comics themselves, they're a source of income. And I can talk about the comic side a little bit because that's the only thing I can really talk about. But yeah, tell me about number one commissions and number two, how you get your commission clients like Pro Wrestling Loot, how you first did that, what what that looked like. Well, Pro Wrestling Loot in particular, I had an inside track because I know the guy, I used to wrestle for the guy that owns Pro Wrestling Loot. He is also a wrestling promoter. Um, he runs SoCal Pro up in Oceanside area. And uh, it's a good little fed. I worked for him while I was wrestling. And after I stopped, I mean, we were still, we were friends. We became friends. He still followed me on social media and he saw that I drew. And he started this pro wrestling loot thing uh, roughly a year or two after um, the other nerd boxes came around. Uh, What's the other one called? What's the main one called? I know. I can't remember. Anyway, whatevs. Yeah. So, so when I, yeah, when all these pre, uh, prescription boxes, subscription, yeah, prescription boxes, boxes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it. these subscription boxes started becoming popular, he decided to make his own, and he goes, "Okay, well, I need a bunch of different stuff inside these boxes." Oh shit, Scott lost draws. Let me hit him up, see how much he charges for whatever, and and we'll go from there. And uh, so that's that's how I got hooked up with that gig. Um, how I got hooked up with my a couple of my other clients, like my long-standing client, the guy that I draw thousands of mermaids for he went to a comic convention a couple of comic conventions that i've done a local to san diego and he liked the way i worked he liked he liked my um 
you know, my art and everything and how quick I was and, you know, and direction and whatnot. And then uh, we just went from there. He got a couple of convention commissions from me. And there was a time where I actually had a couple more commissions that I had to get to first before I had to get to him. And I was like, hey, I can do take-home commissions. If you give me your email, I can contact you and we can talk about your projects. And honestly, you'll have a little bit more leeway there because I'll send you rough drafts and you can tell me what you like and dislike and we can work on stuff together and, you know, actually be a little bit better from you because I don't have to feel rushed. And, you know, Mm -hmm. your project will get a little more time. And he liked that. And I've been working with him ever since. I've been, you know, doing conventions for roughly 10 years now. And, yeah, so I've had this client ever since I started doing conventions. So, um, and then I have a couple more clients that found me online. Like they just saw my stuff online. They, you know, DM'd me, sent me a private message and, um, sent me dick pics. And I'm just like, that's not cool. (laughs) Or, or is it? Well, that's not the deposit I was looking for. So, not into the spank. I'll pay you in dick pics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, (laughs) sorry, sir, this isn't this isn't. Um, Yeah, so viable form of currency. (laughs) (laughs) It's like cryptocurrency. That makes me that makes that makes me want to have a dungeon master a module where the actual form of currency is dick pics. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) all right. Anyway, (laughs) we're getting we're getting off the rails. Yeah, (laughs) it's okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, some of my clients have come from conventions, and some just seeing my work online. So you know, if if you get hit up. See if it's something in a realm of possibility possibility for you to do, and if they like your work, they're going to keep keep coming back to you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had a hunch on some of those answers, and they they did play into the kind of thing, kind of message that I want to deliver as a summary for what you're saying. There's a three different routes of making money, right? One of those routes involved Instagram and Scott simply being on it and drawing and posting and doing the kind of stuff that artists on Instagram too do. The other thing is working at shows, you know, like, like his client commission people found him at shows because he was out there working shows. And then the third one is the pro wrestling loot guy, which, you know, I had a hunch was through a prior connection. But anyone out there listening right now, guess what? You may not have the connection at pro wrestling loot, but you have connections somewhere. This is not one of those things of like, go hit up your connections, ask them to do this, ask them to make money, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you make it known what you do, people are paying attention. I have plenty of bad things to say about social media, but you know, you are visible to the people who care about you. And that's a good thing. And, and, you know, so if you're listening closely to Scott, by people who care about him, by them following him on Instagram, they have seen stuff they like and then they're like yes let's let's have you draw this let's have you draw that etc right and i would imagine you know this is one of those tricky things of like there might be some people who saw the title of this episode and decided that they didn't want to listen this week and if that's what you want to do then that's what you want to do but we can only talk to the people that are still listening um and and you know some people are listening and like right now and like yeah that's this all makes sense and some people might be doing a little bit of an eye roll like you know i thought we were talking about making comics we're about making money well those two things do go hand in hand and at some point you know you're going to have this turn from making comics to making money that's why we're trying to create these 
what's the word? There's a math term for it. God, I used to be so good at this. These inflection points. Um, so the Kentucky bourbon barrel is, is hitting. And that's why I can't just pull inflection points right off there because, you know, I, I love inflection points. No one loves them more than I do. You know, you have these moments that 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 you branch off. <laughs> you love inflection points so much, why don't you marry him? <laughs> inflection mine, points. Mine is, they would hyphenate um, their last name. It would be inflection points dash foster. I like yeah. it. Mine is from 10 years of pro wrestling and beer. <laughs> <laughs> so... We are all doing this. We're not We're not just doing this to make comics. We're doing this to make comics and share comics and share the things we do in comics. And that generally involves making money. You know, I think I lie a little bit more on the wifty, I'm flailing my arms right now as we talk, like, ooh, I just like doing it for the art. You know, like, I do like doing it for the art. You know, I like being able to push the boundaries of what I do as I try to create. You know, the better you get at creating, the more risky you can get. And the more things you can try. But that said, at, at some point, you're probably going to want to press this thing up into a comic and sell it for money. For me, you know, when it comes to to the ways that I make money in comics, it's all pretty simple for me, man. I'm, I'm printing them up and I'm either selling them via a Kickstarter or I'm selling them at shows. I've been doing shows for going on a decade now. You know, Scott and I both met at what was our respective second shows. And we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of that show uh, very soon. So... You know, that's that's the the one way to do it. I have had times over the past 10 years where I have made money. I've taken a writing gig or two to make some money. And, um, you know, the, I, I'm not beyond there I, without saying much in terms of detail. I am investigating some ways to maybe make a few more dollars um, going forward, doing some other things related to making comics, because boy, would that make funding my comics easy you know, or easier just to have some kind of income rolling in that isn't just about selling comics where it can help pay for the artists and keep the cycle going, you know, so it's not wait to make money, pay an artist, wait to make money, pay an artist and just have things kind of go on, uh, on top of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure we've mentioned this on the pod, maybe not so recently, but definitely when we first started was we started making comics because we love making comics and, like by nature, we're storytellers. We want to tell our stories. We want people to read our stories. That's why we do this. Like we love comics. We consume comics all of our lives. And now we're here telling you guys how to do the same thing. If you need some help, if you know, just based off of the things that we've learned since we've been doing this for the last 10 years, um, we're going to give you all of the secrets that we can. And, um, you know, so obviously it's not all about money. That's, you know, yeah, this episode is, but it comes hand in hand with what we're trying to do. Well, I want to spread my story around to as many people as possible. If no one's buying the books, then that's not happening. You know, and if no one's buying the books, then I can't justify continuing to make more and more because no one's buying them in the first place. All right. Bullshit. I call bullshit. And it's time to bring some. What what would you uh, what would you like to talk about in terms of bullshit? You got something. You sound uh, you sound ready for it. Well, I mean, uh, it, look, I I came back from Louisville, and I think I'll talk a little bit about Louisville instead of giving like some kind of you know recap of Louisville. By the way, I think Louisville is a very cool place to go um, if you like horse racing, especially if you like horse racing or if you like bourbon. If you like bourbon, they're like. Actually, they are now choked with distilleries throughout Kentucky. 
Kentucky has just blown up with bourbon places. Do you know, random thing, do you know what creationism is, Scott? Creationism? Creationism? Yeah. That's um, evolution, yeah? Okay, so I might get this wrong, but I believe creationism is a subset of, uh, of, it's a subset religious belief that believes something like the universe was actually created in 1915 with fake inserted memories of all the time before and, and history books that speak of a time that didn't exist. I believe that's how it works. Oh shit. No, then I got that completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard yeah. of this. Again, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I know there's a thing out there called the museum of creation, Somewhere in the mid south, it might be in Tennessee, something like that. But like, it's a real thing. There, there are people out there that believe that. And the reason that I bring up creationism is not to talk about creationism, but that Louisville feels the part of Louisville I was in feels like it was created in 2012 because every everything has that. Like every there, there are all. It, it feels like all of these bourbon distilleries sprang up at the exact same time because they all have the same interior decor. They all have the same vibe. They all kind of have that big, wide open, you know, former warehouse space vibe. Lots of wood and lots of like black iron fixtures, lots of concrete floors, very like, and, and the restaurants all look like that too. And the food's good in every single one of them, right? But it just feels like overblown hipster. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, like you can tell I'm dating it for this specific time. I, I made this comment a couple of years ago because I went to Cincinnati, actually. And I went to a restaurant in Cincinnati that I also went to when I was in Louisville. Turns out they're a little bit of a regionalized chain. And, and they were cool and they had the same decor. And I was like, the weird thing about this kind of restaurant is the type of people that love this restaurant probably love... You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but they probably love that it's like, it's not really a chain. It's not McDonald's, you know, because God knows, God knows people can't go five minutes without vilifying poor McDonald's, you know, but, (laughs) uh, but, you know, so, you know, that's, that's the thing like, oh, it's so, you know, it's farm to table and it's, and it's authentic and it's this and, you know, it's, it's, you know, real food and all this stuff. And it's like, the irony there is, there is one, if not are multiple ones of those in every city you go to and they all have different names but they're all basically the same (laughs) you know like there's one of those places everywhere so there is this bizarre sameness of a bunch of different thinking people who all graduated chef school around the same time and then opened up this killer hip restaurant but like across the United States, there is a strange sameness to them, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, and Louisville yeah. just had this concentrated thing. Again, I I loved every place I was in because I happen to love that decor. I just wonder what it's going to look like in 20 years when it's not the thing anymore, you know? Um, right. So anyway, but yeah, it was it, that part of it was just sort of bizarre because, again, it just felt like someone just, just created it in 2012, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's weird that if you had a distillery you would go around you would look at other distilleries and how they laid it out and you're like yeah i like this mm-hmm. i'm just going to do the exact same thing yeah. like i think my idea would be the opposite it's like okay what is everyone else doing let's let's zig when everyone else is zagging totally. i mean like that's one of the oldest 
stings ever. Like that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. You know, I heard that when I was a little kid. When everyone else zigs, you zag. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Well, everyone's doing this. Everyone's going one way. You go the other way. Mm -hmm. So why would you have the same business with the exact same look? It's bizarre. I mean, it's also possible that they all came from roughly the same school of thought and they all did it independent of knowing what the other people did and all sort of came around at the same time. It's also possible because, you know, hey, if you want to if you want to have a lot of listeners, number one, spend 30 minutes talking finance and then top that off with a little economic theory. (laughs) <laughs> which is what we're going to do. This the numbers are going to kill this skyrocket. Episode. Skyrocket motherfuckers. Skyrocket. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's this idea it's it's called hoteling. It's a hoteling thing, right? So there's this this economic term called hoteling. And without explaining it, all you need to know is it's why you can drive for 100 miles nowhere through a state and then you can go to a rest stop and there are four fast food restaurants and five gas stations, right? And the reason is because the first one that opened made money and then everyone else said they're making money there. That's the place I'm going to go. It's basically copycat-itis in terms of location and in terms of whatever. So you can make the argument that these restaurants all did that like, well, that one's successful. Like you said, that's what I'm going to do because it's tried and true. And, and to expand on what you just said, it's what people expect. What people expect from a bourbon distillery is this certain ethos, this certain decor. And that's why people do it. Do I agree with it? No. I'm just trying to explain why they're doing it the way they are, you know. So anyway. Right. Um, but that said, so that part of it was kind of cool but also wild. Um, the other thing is I did hit up a few shops. And one of the shops I hit up, I was I was happy and disappointed. I hit up a shop there called The Great Escape. And The Great Escape has some nostalgia for me because The Great Escape is a regional chain through the area. And The Great Escape sells comics, records, toys, mm. And CDs and all kinds of shit, right? Now, I'm nostalgic for Great Escape because I worked at the Nashville Great Escape my senior year in college in 1993. So yeah. it's been around It's been around for a while. So it was neat to go back into a Great Escape. That said, the record selection was god-awful. Like, god-awful. Like, they either had bad records or they had overpriced records or they had bad overpriced records, <laughs> right? It was it was one of those two things. However, the comics were really good. They had some really nice, like, older silver bronze age, bronze age comics. The problem was every single one of them felt like it was 10% too high in terms of price. Mm. They were all cool, but none of them had that, ooh, that's a really good price. What they did have was killer dollar bins. And they even had 50 cent bins and quarter bins. So they went all Ooh. the way around. Yeah, yeah. So I ended wow. up, I, I didn't spend that much, but I got, I don't know, I spent like 20 bucks. I got one premium issue and then some dollar comics and felt pretty good about it. And then the only other thing I was going to say is that I kind of fell back in love with records again. Whatever I buy over the next couple months, I expect that it's going to be predominantly records. You know, when I set, when I stepped off the plane in Louisville, and first arrived, I figured that of the of the money I would spend, I'd probably spend, you know, let's go with 60% of the money was going to be comics and maybe 40% books. That was pretty much it, right? It ended up being 0% books, 10% comics, and 90% records is roughly oh, wow. how it did. And I think, you know, one of the things I love thinking about just anywhere is the things that go into that. You know, how did we get here? And... 
the Airbnb I stayed in had a portable turntable with actual records. So you could just hang out in the Airbnb and play the records they had left. And they had some really good records. They had a James Brown record. They had a Herbie Hancock record. They had a lot of these things. And it, it like the second I got there, I quick threw it on. And I was like, yeah, man, this is really cool. And it made me go like, oh, I don't think I own this record, do I? You know, I know this album, but I don't own the record. And so that has definitely spurred on a little bit of a record renaissance into terms of how I'm spending money. So it'll be interesting to see how it, uh, how it goes from there. Right on, man. That's cool. I remember, um, some episodes back, it's been quite a while. You had gotten back on the record train yourself. You were like, I think I'm laying off comics. I forgot mm-hmm. how much I loved records and, and you were going to get back into it. And yeah. then I don't think I heard much of anything after that. So it's good that good to hear that you're back on it. So cool. I love um, it. yeah, my first thing for the bullshit is a couple of the books that I've been getting online, like the Luther Strode um, first miniseries. I got those two days ago. They look great. So I have the first first miniseries. I have the last miniseries. And I'm missing issues one, two, and three of the second uh, miniseries. Those are strangely overpriced. Like, they cost a pretty penny. Like, the very first appearance of Luther Strode is, is uh, you know, part of the first miniseries. I just picked up five number ones in the dollar bin at SoCal Comics. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird. So the first miniseries is actually um, relatively cheap to get. I think I picked it up for I think fifteen bucks for the first five issues or something like that. So it like worked out to three bucks an issue. And um, but yeah, they had the first appearance, the very first issue. They had five or six of them in the dollar bin, and I was just like. Yeah, well, I'll just take a few of these just in case, you know, like it's it's an awesome series. I really dig it. Um, the art's amazing, of course. So, hey, if this is the first appearance of him, I'm going to pick up these just in case. Cost me four to five bucks, depending how many I grab. Um, and then the Daredevil issues that I picked up that were coverless. So I'd gotten two coverless Daredevil issues. And I said before on the pod, you know, well, I really wanted there was a lot of two. And it's like, oh, I really want this issue, and there's a coverless one that comes with it. I don't really care about that one. Well, that's something I've I've switched my stance on, because I got a copy of Daredevil 32. It's coverless, but the first page is this amazing splash page, and it it works just as well as the cover does. And I'm like, this is pretty badass, just looking at it. So I think I'm going to be a little more open-minded when it comes to these coverless issues. Because it's like, hey, I still own this. Like, I still own issue 32. I still own issue 17. Like, 17 is bonkers to have, just missing a cover, and everything else is intact. So, um, you know, the collector market of it, yeah, it's not worth much of anything. I get that. But to have it, to have this item from history is, is kind of cool and I can flip through it and not feel bad about it. If something gets a little torn or, you know, I'm getting, you know, it's not like I'm eating burritos or anything while I'm looking through this thing, but you know, I don't have to worry about it as much as I would if it did have the cover intact. Um, you know, and I pay, pay a pretty penny, you know, it's just like, I got these two issues of daredevil for 21 bucks, you know, essentially 10 bucks an issue. And for something that was made in 1945, it's a pretty cool item to have for sure. Here, check. Uh, let me see if you can see the. Yeah, I can. Little, yeah. Yeah, it's a little hard to see, but it's kind of cool. That's the page man. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's page one. You know, the, these old school comics. That was that was the routine. That was 
that was the thing everyone was doing. Your first page was a splash page. And the next two pages, well, Kirby definitely did this. The first page was a splash. The next two pages was a double page splash. Um, you know, Eric Larson still does that to this day. Um, and it's a great thing. You know, it's a great thing to open the comic and go, oh, shit. Like, this is how we're starting. You know, it's a great way to do it. And I know that there is an issue coming up for the second shift where I know that's exactly how I'm laying it out. Um, because it's like a big impact thing, you know, for that specific story. But yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. Let's take it on home. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore invader. I post about five days a week. I do things like quotes and, you know, pictures of the book, uh, the books that I work on, of course, that I write. And uh, if you like those books or you want to find out more, you can go to my website at KeithRFoster.com. There's some landing page stuff and, of course, a couple other things, as well as pages on my books, which are Kadoja, Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space, and a web store where you can buy those things. And you can find my stuff uh, online at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, Wanders of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. Those are at AccidentalAliens.com. If you want to find me on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, it's at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And uh, I already hit the website. And that's it. That's all of my socials. You know, look, if you are a creationist, then it's important to note that when when the universe was created in 1915 or whatever, that you needed to give our podcast five stars. That was, <laughs> that, that, that was, uh, that was, it was, it. it was, it was predating. It was predating any way that you could rate them, but like that's just the way the universe was created. Okay, so I'm not here to question the value of the universe being created. I'm just telling you that from the moment it was, everything was really going toward you giving us five stars. Again, it does really help. Um, it helps spread the word on the podcast. It's a it's it's two minutes of your time if you haven't done it already. Maybe four if you want to actually write some nice words, which we would love. And uh, it doesn't cost you anything; just a couple minutes of your time. So. Head over to Spotify and uh, and drop a rating, five-star rating, or head over to Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star rating. And you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Um, let us know what kind of creator you are if you're listening to this pod. Are you trying yeah. to work full-time at the big two? Are you trying to just do your thing? Are you just trying to make indie comics and you're trying to make your books be a success? Um, let us know. It's, it's yeah. always interesting for us to hear. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, yeah. we we obviously get a lot of feedback from from friends of ours who listen to the podcast. But what we've also found is that more and more people out there have become, you know, sort of friends of ours, right? Like we haven't hung out yet and you guys know who you are. You know, we've named you. You've sent in emails and we've read it out. And, and it's great to to be, you know making some more virtual friends and having people listen along and having people ask us questions and having people do whatever and hit hit us up on Instagram or whatever. So, well, first of all, if you if you have hit us up in the past, then then please let us know. Again, I think both Scott and I are interested to to know kind of what what kind of creator you are. Um and if you haven't reached out to us yet, hey, you can always do it a first time and we're right here and we uh, we're, we're happy to hear from you. Yep. Yeah, I've I've heard from people on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. Actually, I've been hit hit up uh, in all of the big three there. So you know, just talk to you about how much they enjoy the podcast, 
or they're talking about their book and what they're doing now and, you know, some pointers or something like that. And, you know, if you hit me up on social media, I'll give you a talk for sure. Yeah. And in fact, I, I had someone, Scott, hit me up uh, maybe like a week ago on the song that is playing right now. The person actually said, I don't listen to the podcast much, but I just wanted to let you know that the music that you do at the beginning of the episode, beginning and the end of the episodes is funky and awesome. That's very cool. And I was like, well, that's my band. That's Big Pimp Jones. So thank you. And of course, then I just live. I didn't have to eat for a week because I can live on that compliment. I didn't I didn't need any kind of actual nourishment. Someone had complimented my music, (laughs) you know, so (laughs) what a weird comment. I don't listen to the podcast much, but I like the music on it. It's like. This isn't a music podcast. How, how are you listening to our podcast? <laughs> he did listen to it a little bit and was just getting into it, but it was just a oh, comment okay, okay. on like really liking the music. Right on, man. Or, or maybe on. maybe it's the kind of person where they're just sort of saying that they didn't listen. They don't listen to every episode every week kind of thing, right? Like, right. It felt more like that kind of caveat. Um, right, but he yeah. was probably like, dude, but I, I will wait. This is almost verbatim, but I will wait in a line of, of 500 people to hear you talk about making money and spouse some economic theory. If you can do that for me, can you do that for me? And that's what like, spurred this episode on. That's what spurred this episode on. It was, you're welcome, insp- you're welcome insp- people. Inspiration, inspiration. You, you know, right, what's interesting is, uh, I find, I find that stuff fascinating. Like as a comic creator and, and like um, me and one of my studio mates, Rodney, we like talking about this kind of stuff. Like it, it's interesting to us. We like to know the numbers. We like to know what's tracking, what's selling, what makes us money. So like for me, it's an interesting subject, you know, and that's yeah. how come I broached it to you. I was like, hey, listen to this. Let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that was interesting for me to hear. And it's just like, look, I, I kind of knew most of that information, but to hear it like validated and clarified by a comic creator it's like no i he's you know he's like i have friends that work in the comic industry and they're fucking poor and it sucks and i hate that they are stuck in this area you know because they're not pushing for themselves so so for me very interesting subject so let us know what you guys think but i i almost wonder if we buried the lead a little bit there um, because one one of the most important things that he said that we did not mention in the main part was this idea of a culture of poverty and that yeah. and mm-hmm. that it, it's it's the idea of romanticizing the the broke assness of being an artist because that makes you a more true artist he had a he had a phrase that actually made me laugh out loud or something where he said you know that but you know i can't remember what the context was but he just said you know but but people feel like they don't want to talk about money or or whatever because it makes them more punk rock right like that was his actual phrase and uh and so yeah i mean look we do believe in like you know, being independent and and owning all that stuff and like being a bit of a, you know, if you want to be an iconoclast, then God damn it, go for it. But that said, it, it's also not particularly punk rock to do a bunch of art that costs you valuable time and that you care greatly about because you're looking to, you know, go forward with it and then have to like settle for less money than you could do or or to not know about the the distribution, you know, the, the money-making opportunities that you have for your art, you know, again, I think it's more of a reminder to just, to just make sure money has a role. I, I don't think the goal is to put money first. 
because if you were putting money first, you wouldn't be making comics. You would be doing real estate. You you would be buying stonks, right? You would be doing whatever. But you shouldn't ignore that either, you know. And Mm -hmm. and uh, and and that's what we I think that's what we're trying to convey that like we don't ignore that, you know. Like we we love making comics. We we both acknowledge that there are millions of ways to make money that are far smarter <laughs> than yeah. than creating a comic and and putting it out there and being creative about it. But we do it because we want to do it, and we do it because we like telling stories and we feel almost a I've talked about this before a compulsion a need to create and put stories out there. So Absolutely. you know, in a in a weird way, we may have done a little bit of disservice. And I may even take some of this and just fucking tack it on in the beginning or something like that because it's important. You know, it's important to understand why we're even doing what we're doing here to talk about this and talk about the money-making aspect because, again, a lot of people don't talk about it because they think it's not cool or they think it makes them less of an artist or something like that. Like, guys, Picasso tried to sell his paintings. You know, like, all of these people that we hold up, pick, pick an artist... And throughout time, and odds are that person was trying to sell that exact piece of art for a living. It does not matter who it is. It doesn't matter whether it was a playwright in the year 823. It doesn't matter whether it was, you know, an artist in the year 1515. You know, it doesn't matter whether it was a playwright. There was always a commercial nature to this, you know. And yes, I'm sure there's some exception to the rule somewhere. Keith, what about this one person who did that? Right. Well, that's one person. That's that's the exception, not the rule. You know, the rule is so many of these <laughs> shit. Even a lot of people who make punk rock were doing it to sell money to make money. Right. Like they didn't just walk around and knock out punk rock tunes. They wanted right. you to buy their record while they were at it. So, but then they then you get called to sell out if you made it. You know. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's always there's always people like that and. Um, what we're here to tell you is don't listen to those people. It's fucked up, that's why. All right, see you guys next week. Yeah, yeah.